My two oldest sons, Morgan and Tanner, junior or senior, have uh, done a few college visits in the last year, and we've gone with them. And you know, whenever you go on one of these college visits, they always teach you about the traditions of the college and their culture. Have you ever gone on one of these, or you remember going on those? And they always teach you the cheers of the college. Have you ever listened to the cheers of the college? Like, they have their own language. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Of course, most of the SEC schools' cheers have curse words in them, so we can't say them all. <clears throat> but, I mean, they've just got their own language. Hotty toddy. I mean, who started to cheer off with hotty toddy besides somebody with a drinking problem? <laughs> right? A lot of schools have them. It's Iron Bowl week, Right? Yellow ham, rammer, jammer, yellow hammer. Nothing gets the team fired up like the state bird, right? <laughs> bada get a, bada get a, bada get a, ba, ra, 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 sis, boom, ba. Those aren't even words. And I'm not picking on anybody, but Texas A&M's got like a dozen of these. Woo! Right, right? Yeah, we got, we, we got an Aggie here. They have one called the horse laugh. It goes like this. Well, it's not right there, yeah. It goes riffity, riffy, riffity, riffity, riff raff, chiffity, chiffity, chiff chaff, riff raff, chiff chaff, let's give them a horse laugh. What, what are we talking about? There are no horses, there are no snakes. And it doesn't really matter, right, that the words make sense. It doesn't really matter that they're not even a language. What matters is the history and the tradition and the culture. And they just want to teach you when you're a freshman there the right way to do them. And I have a concern that that is sometimes the way the church has taught about prayer. That there's a right way. If you grew up Roman Catholic then you probably learned to pray prayers in Latin. And if you grew up Roman Catholic, you can probably still repeat some of them. That was the right way to pray. If you grew up, pro, uh, uh, if, if you grew up Protestant, then you probably learned the Lord's Prayer in King James English, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I, I grew up Baptist, but... I began my ministry uh, serving in the United Methodist Church, but I, I went to a kind of a contemporary Methodist church that was non-liturgical, uh, and that's where I felt my call to ministry. I mean, you know, church had a drum and guitars and the whole thing. So I had never been to a liturgical church, but I began serving two small traditional Methodist churches, and I'll never forget meeting with the choir director a month or two before my first service and talking about what the order of service was going to be, and she asked me about the Gloria Patri, and I said, never met her. <laughs> Don't know Gloria. <laughs> Turns out, Gloria Patri was a prayer. Glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. It's a prayer. Amen. Amen. And sometimes those traditions, kind of like our college cheers, kind of have their own language and they have their own ritual and they can sort of teach us that there's a right way to pray. 
There's right words to say. There's right order to say them in. And so here's what's so interesting about this. To combat that, guys like me, and especially kind of in the modern evangelical church, have tried to correct that, maybe those traditions, those rituals, and we have probably overcorrected it. Because now what we do is when we teach on prayer, we say, well, prayer is not this, it's that. Right? We, we come up with these great one-liners. And I, as a preacher, have probably said them myself. Like, prayer's not about asking for what you want, but asking God for what he wants. It's not about talking to God, it's about listening to God. It's about relationship, not repetition or ritual. It's about changing your heart, not changing God's mind. You probably heard some of these. They're pithy, they're memorable, they have alliteration or they rhyme. And the problem with that is whether it is ritual and tradition or whether it is these pithy one-liners about what prayer isn't and then what it is, they all make us feel the same thing, that there is a right way to pray. That if you're asking for what you want instead of what God's want, you're doing it wrong. Right? If you're talking and not listening, you're doing it wrong. And can I, so can I just say today, and today's our last part of this, this series, can I just say today this, the main way to pray wrong is to not pray at all. Like the main way to pray wrong is just to not pray at all. That's the main way to pray wrong. Why do we have to choose? What if there isn't a prescription or formula, and what if it's different depending on how you're feeling or what season you're in? What if it's all those things? What if it's about telling God what you want and a conversation with God about what he wants? What if it's talking and listening? What if it's sometimes relationship and sometimes ritual and repetition? What if it changes God's heart to move, to act? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And what if it changes us as God's heart takes over ours? The reason I say that is Jesus' most intense prayer seemed to be one in which he kind of had a lot of different elements. He prayed from relationship. He asked a, a really big request that frankly seemed a little self-serving. And he ultimately surrendered to the will of his father. And then you know what he did? He repeated it again and again. Sometimes prayer is a lot of things. And the main way we go wrong is to not do it at all. The main way we pray wrong is to not do it all. So I want to take Jesus' model of prayer and learn from him. Who better to learn from from Jesus, right? And like any preacher worth his salt, I've got an acronym so you can remember it because that helps me. But the big thing, the big takeaway today on this last Sunday, this last part of this series, is I just want you to pray. We've learned a lot of great things. Two weeks ago, we learned from, from Tony Collier that when we take God our brokenness, we begin praying more honest prayers. I hope you'll pray honest prayers. Last week, Jake Davis, our college and career pastor, I mean, excuse me, our college and creative pastor, talked about uh, getting alone with God, giving God our attention, finding space with God. 
because he's our father, because we need intentional time, attention with him. I hope we'll do all those things. But the main thing I hope you'll do is to make sure you pray because the main way to pray wrong is to not pray at all. And so if you haven't watched those messages, maybe today's your first time. We're so honored you're here. I hope you'll go back and watch them. If you're tuning in right now, thanks for welcoming us into your home. I hope you'll go back and watch the next two weeks. This prayer from Jesus that turns into prayers happens in the most difficult part of Jesus' life. It's the night before he will end up being crucified. It's the night that he gets arrested, and it feels like the whole world is crashing down on him. Actually, the weight of the sin of the world is starting to get heavy on his shoulders. The night begins by having what we call the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. He begins to tell them that he's going to suffer. They have a hard time believing it. He washes their feet. Judas, one of his disciples, leaves to go betray Jesus. And Jesus decides that this is a good time to take some time to pray. So we're going to look in Matthew 26, start in verse 36. And before Jesus even gets to prayer, there's some things we can learn about how to even set up time to pray. So if you got your Bibles, you want to turn them to 20, Matthew 26. If you're at home, you got your Bible, your app, turn it there. If you're in the room, take one of our free Bibles at the bookshelf when you leave. If you don't have one, we want that to be our gift to you. And, and this is a great prayer to study this week. This is what it says in Matthew 26, the first part. Then Jesus, so they leave where they're at, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a garden Years ago, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, my wife Emily and I went to Israel. It's a really incredible place, Gethsemane. It kind of overlooks the city. So Jesus is going there, and he, he, you know, he's just surrounded in this garden, this grove, and you can, you can see Jerusalem from there. I imagine he's just kind of picturing what's probably going to happen. So he went to the Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he's kind of stealing away. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and these were the three that were kind of the inner circle and in disciples of the disciples. He had the 12, and now there's only 11 with him because Judas has left. But these three were kind of his inner circle. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus isn't even to the prayer yet, and there are already some little nuggets in here. Jesus first, what does he do? He gets away. He gets away. Location matters. Sometimes we need to go find a place. I think sometimes we take that verse that says pray without ceasing which is a great verse, which I totally agree. Jake did a great job of telling us last week like how we can actually pray without ceasing. But sometimes we can take that and just say, well, I'm just going to pray throughout the day and as I go. And I think you should. But sometimes we need to get away. Jesus got away. Is it a walking trail? Is it a chair? Is it a room in your house? But it's somewhere else. Jesus got away. 
And then the, the other thing we see before even Jesus prays is that he's sorrowful. sorrowful. He's sad. We're not always going to be in a good mood. You can take your sorrow to God. So we see already that, that Jesus' heart is filled with sorrow, but we can, we can take that to God. All right, so then we're going to dig in. In the next verse, we're going to break into four. It's one prayer in verse 39 that we're going to break up into four sections because this, this four part that I've got come up with this acronym for, and it's highly creative, okay? Are you ready? This is, this is it. Pray. <clears throat> it took me months to come up with that. But it was funny because I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, wow. That just, this just opens up what Jesus does here in this prayer. So four parts of this prayer in one verse that I want to incorporate into my prayer life. It starts off, the first part says this, going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed. So he hasn't even opened up his mouth yet. He hasn't even said a word, but Jesus has already taught us something about prayer. He's taught us about posture. He's taught us about posture because he falls on his face on the ground. And here's what I believe about posture is that posture positions our hearts. Posture positions our hearts. This is why it was so important for Jesus to get away. And we don't see Jesus on his face before God every time he prays in Scripture. Jesus sometimes prays standing up. Sometimes Jesus prays before a crowd. But in this moment, Jesus feels like he needs to get away and get by himself and get on his knees and get on his face before God. You know, I pray all over the place. I mean, I pray while I'm driving. I don't close my eyes then. I pray while I'm, I'm jogging sometimes. Lord, help me not die doing this. It's usually a prayer or something like that. I pray while I'm cutting the grass sometimes. I listen to worship music and I pray. Uh, sometimes exactly what I need is a long walk with Jesus. And I pray while I'm taking a walk. But most of the time, I have a chair. And I get up early before the sun rises, and I watch the sunrise, and that chair for me is, is for me a seat before God. It postures my heart. Right? That prayer in that chair feels different than the prayer while I'm driving or jogging or cutting the grass. And sometimes I get on my face before God. And that prayer feels different than the prayer in the chair, which felt different than the prayer behind my steering wheel. You don't have to get on your face before God every time you pray. But if you never get on your face before God in prayer, you might want to check the posture of your heart because I'm just going to go out on a limb and say if Jesus sometimes needed to get on his face before his father then you and I probably need to as well posture posture positions our hearts and then he says my father my father 
He prays from relationship. He prays from relationship. Jesus isn't praying for a relationship. He's praying from relationships. He is praying as God's son. So many people say, oh, I just feel so unworthy to pray and so undeserving to come before God. We are unworthy, but we don't pray to become worthy. We pray because God has opened up the door for us to be in relationship with him through Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. We come, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a co-heir with Christ. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are his creation. You come as a child. God isn't some being in the sky ready to smite you. He is a good, good father just waiting for his children to call home. And every time I call my daddy, he answers the phone. Sup? And I thank your heavenly father when you say, dear God, I think he leans in. I think he answers, he says, what's up? Jesus calls home to his father. And what he prays, what he says next, is surprising, but also encouraging to me. Jesus says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He tells God what he wants. Jesus is audacious in this prayer. This is a very specific ask. This is a very bold ask. And I believe that we should do the same. I believe we should be specific. I believe we should be bold. And I want to say this because I believe too many Christians feel this and they don't ever say it out loud. But deep in your heart, you, you believe it. And I just want to give you this today. It's not sinful to tell God what you want. Do you know why I know that? Because Jesus never sinned and he told God what he wanted. It's not sinful to tell God what you want. I don't think Jesus was doing this for theater. This was real. Hey, Dad, you know, if we could come up with another plan to save the world, now would be a good time. Let's brainstorm. Let's whiteboard this thing, Dad. I mean, come on. What do we got? What do we got? Jesus doesn't want to drink the cup of God's wrath. For centuries, the Hebrew scripture had talked about the cup of God's wrath that was preserved for the judgment of the sin of the world. And Jesus knew that it wasn't the cross that would hurt. It was the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, let's, let's kind of put everything on the table here, God. You know, Dad, can we come up with another plan? It's an audacious ask. It's a bold ask, and it is a specific ask. Can I ask you a question? Are your prayers specific enough that you know if God answered them or not? Are they clear enough that you know if you got a yes or no? Are your prayers bold enough that you know God did it if it came true because no one else could pull it off? I mean, Jesus would have known if God answered his prayer, if he gets up from the prayer and he sees Judas coming alone and not with Roman centurions beside him and behind him and gave Jesus a big bear hug and just said, hey, man, sorry about that. I kind of got out of control there. 
He, he asked a specific prayer. Are your, are your prayers specific enough? But then this is so important because what comes next, what comes next is so absolutely necessary to be coupled with an audacious ask. I hope you will pray audacious, bold prayers, but it has to be coupled with what comes next. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Yet not as I will. Father, if there's another way, that's what I would really like. You want my opinion. You want what I want. I want another way. But not as I will. What you will. And this is when we yield. This is what it's ultimately about getting to this point, and this takes maturity. This is about trusting God's no and not yet. And I wrote this down. I just want to say this right in my notes. A prayer life that stops with the audacious ask without the yielding trust to God's will is a prayer life that lacks maturity. Let me say that one more time. A prayer life that stops with the audacious ask without yielding trust to God's will is a prayer life that lacks maturity. It comes from a child who thinks they know best but doesn't know what they don't know. Parents do not get mad at their children when they ask to stay up late, eat ice cream for dinner, and not brush their teeth before they go to bed. Parents do not get mad at that ask. And every once in a while, on a lazy summer night, mom and dad, you're in a good mood. It's Friday night. You say yes. Right? You say yes. Because you know one Friday night staying up late, and one Friday night having ice cream for dinner, and one Friday night not brushing your teeth won't be that bad, and you just say yes. But parents get frustrated with children when they won't listen to their no because parents know what their kids don't know. When parents know that you can't stay up late tonight because it's a school night and you'll be cranky if you don't get enough sleep, you can't have ice cream for dinner every night because you'll get diabetes and you have to have a routine of brushing your teeth or you won't have no teeth. They know, come on, mama, yeah, come on. They know what kids don't know. And parents get frustrated with children when they know what they kids don't know and they won't trust their no. And I bet God gets frustrated with us when he won't answer what we want and he knows what we don't know and we won't trust his no. You have no idea what God wants to do with a no. Just think, just imagine if God had said yes to Jesus' prayer. No cross, no grace, no mercy, no forgiveness, no redemption, no restoration, no resurrection, no Easter, no eternal life, no church, no changed lives, no seven baptisms today. Just imagine if he'd have said, sure, you can have whatever you want. 
Here's what I love about Jesus that we learn from him is that what this prayer thing is, is you lay it before God and you leave it up to God. You lay it before God and you leave it up to God. Get it all out there. Be bold, courageous, audacious, specific. Lay it all out there. Yourself, your prayers, your heart. But ultimately, you leave it up to him. And I want to read the last part of this because it's so encouraging to me. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. You ever fall asleep praying? That's a great, Peter and James and John did too. All right, You're, we're in good company. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time. And you know what he said? He said, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He prays the prayer again. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed a third time. What did he say? The same thing. You ever say like, oh, I just feel like I pray the same thing over and over again. You're in good company. Jesus did. Sometimes when your heart is heavy, sometimes when there's something weighing on your heart, you, only, you can only think of like three sentences to pray. And you just pray it over and over again until you get an answer. Jesus prayed it over and over again. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? And then he said, look. And he saw Judas. But he wasn't alone. And he knew he had his answer. It just wasn't the one he wanted. And he said, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Let us go. Here come my betrayers. Lay it before God and leave it up to God. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that there aren't hard no's to live with. That doesn't mean that you haven't prayed for some things and you would say, how could God not want my friend to get healed, my family member to get healed? How could God not want us to get pregnant? How could God not want me to find a job? How could God not want our marriage to be restored? And here's all I know. The world is broken. And God hasn't quite fixed it yet. He is fixing it. He is fixing it. Lay it before God and leave it up to God. Get your posture right. Pray from relationship. Pray an audacious prayer and yield. And I don't want you to think it's selfish for you to ask God for what you want, what you think is the best thing. Jesus didn't. God wants to hear from his children. He just wants you to trust him when his will doesn't match our will. That doesn't mean that it will make sense on this side of heaven. It means that we don't have to carry it because we laid it before God and we left it up to God. Grown up prayers, grown up prayers is about giving our heart and all this in it to God and understanding with the maturity to know that I'm not in charge. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father. We all have some audacious prayers. And Lord, I just wonder if we would just take the next 15 seconds of silence to just pray an audacious prayer in our heart.